Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Bow your heads, pray with me. Father, in this moment, we offer our highest praise and worship. Acknowledge you as our Lord and Savior one true God who came to us. So turn our hearts toward you. Fill us with your love and your presence. We humbly declare that our hearts are open. Open to you, Lord, so speak to us. We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Of course, this is the season of Advent, and candles are lit uh, to sort of celebrate the wonder of the season and anticipating the one moment uh, when God comes to earth. And so all of the candles, you have the first one is the hope, it's the anticipation, and then there's faith and trust, then the rose candle of joy, and we're going to light two today. This is the candle of peace, it's sort of, it's, it's called the uh, shepherd's candle because the angel announces to them that there will be peace on earth because the king is come. And then the final candle, of course, is the Christ candle. He's the one we've been waiting for. He is our peace. He's the one our hope is in. He's the one our faith is in. He's the one who gives us the joy. It's white for purity. The sinless Savior who takes away the sin of the world. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm really looking forward to Christmas. I'm really looking to get, get to that. Maybe more than ever, because it's been such a, you know, a tough year. But we've done some reflecting as a body. You'll do, hopefully, some reflecting this week about the way God has really been there and shown up in different ways throughout this year. And for us as a church, that's true. We've put something a little, just a little something together for you to watch, just to be reminded of the way God has shown up. Uh, this year, uh, in spite of the circumstances. So watch.
I thought about all of the scenes of the Christmas story, uh, which most of us know, and, and, uh, and even the characters that are a part of it. I mean, I think you probably know most of the characters. It's the intention of the gospel writers uh, to do the same, really, with the Christmas story, for you to identify with each character or with one of the characters, uh, to put yourself in the story, to see yourself in the people of Christmas. These are real people with real lives who are trying to understand what God's up to and how to fit him into their lives. My dad uh, receives a check every year from Warner Brothers. This is it, and this is what happens when you, when you ask your father to send a picture. He doesn't get the whole thing in there. The check is worth 27 cents. He gets them periodically uh, throughout the year, different amounts, $6, 11, never more than $11. Um, he has been in the movie industry for, you know, many, many years, and he's been uh, the driver for Oliver Stone on a number of movies, the director. And uh, that included Any Given Sunday, which was filmed in South Florida where my dad lives. But during that filming, they came here to film at Old Texas Stadium, uh, two weeks of filming there, and Oliver Stone brought my dad to drive him. And so we got to go on the set. We got to take even the Wakefields on the set. Here's a picture of just one little quick pic of all the actors that were, it was just an, a, an amazing thing. Well, uh, my dad was driving Oliver Stone to the set one morning, and Oliver Stone said to him, uh, I want you in the movie. Now, my dad's been in the movie industry for 55 years, but never in front of the camera. <laughs> and he's the last person that you would imagine ever being in front. He just freezes in those, completely freezes in those kind of moments. And so uh, Oliver Stone said, I want you to be Luigi, the Italian ice man. I want you to come down the stadium and sell Italian ice. Italian ice, get your Italian ice. That's what he wanted my dad to do. So he talks my dad into it. My dad said it was the most nervous I've ever been, didn't want to have anything to do with it. So they fill the stadium. You know, whatever side they're filming on, they, they take the extras and film that side of the stadium. So they fill this stadium up. Got the action of the game going on. Everyone's on the sidelines. The crew and the cameras are all focused on my dad, who they've, they've dressed in all white to come down there and s with a tray of Italian ices to do, to do. So he starts to come, and down he comes. Italian ice, it gets your Italian ice. He gets all the way to the bottom. Oliver Stone yells, cut. Crowd stops. Noise stops on the sidelines. Film crew stops. It's quiet. And Oliver Stone says, that's the worst acting job I've ever seen in my whole life. And of course, it didn't make it into the movie. Didn't make it into the story. But Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone still has a check sent to him, every, a residual check, three or four times a year, just to remind him how horrible he was. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the characters of Christmas, all right? And I'm going to give you a chance to put yourself in the story, to identify with one or more of the characters, because God wants you to be a part of the story. Uh, 
See what it might look like if you allowed God to come into your life. And hopefully, you'll do a better job than my dad did. Now let's start with Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah and Elizabeth are really old, and they're about to give birth to John the Baptist. They, the angel tells them, you're going you're gonna to have a son. This would be Jesus' cousin. He's three months ahead of Jesus' birth. Elizabeth would be the aunt of Mary. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, of course, have lived a long life without a child. This is a very difficult thing, especially in that culture where a child was a sign of blessing from God. So they have sort of lived with this stigma all their lives, and now they're way past childbearing years, and the angel tells them you're going to have a child. But you can imagine that Zechariah is going, this is way too much. It's overwhelming. You've got to be kidding me. Now, uh, God, you're, you're just a little too late. And so he says in Luke chapter 1, verse 18, to the angel, how, how am I, I going to know this? For I am old and my wife is advanced in years. It's like, you know, as you age, we all know folks who are up there in years. You know, you sort of get settled into a life. You are who you are. Um, you don't imagine changing much. You've lived too long. You're set in your ways. You can't imagine starting over or entertaining much change in your world. I got a, uh, an email from a guy just four weeks ago. Listen to this. I'm currently enrolled in a two-year-long Christian leadership program. I do not know why, but I really felt a strong urge to do it. At my age, 80, you don't even buy green bananas. <laughs> I was hysterical. I'm looking forward to what God has in mind for me. It's a bit crazy, but exciting at the same time. Here's a guy, 80 years old, who's still thinking about what God might be doing and could do in his life. Um, I love the angel's response to Gabriel when he says, I'm, I'm old and my wife's in advanced in years. Verse 19, the angel answered him and said, well, I'm Gabriel. He says, I'm too old. And the angel goes, well, I'm Gabriel. I love that. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to bring you this good news. Get ready, big boy. I don't care how long you've lived. I don't care how many issues you have. I don't care how set in your ways you are. I'm coming into your life. Now, on the other end of the spectrum, you could be Joseph. Joseph is in contrast to him because he's the, he's the young man. And this you could almost imagine saying to God, you're too early. To Zechariah, you're a little late, God, to come into my life. To Joseph, you're a little early. I got a lot ahead of me. Joseph's engaged to Mary, okay, and finds out she's pregnant. And now he's got to figure out what to do. And we see Joseph. He's presented as a guy who's very thoughtful. In fact, Matthew 120 says, while he was considering this, which it was, well, I'm going to have to figure out how to get out of this marriage without hurting her. So you see him very contemplative, thoughtful. He's sort of the planner type, a good man, but he's a man with a plan kind of character, cautious, practical. 
has to know what's coming. All right? He's always asking the question, uh, what's this going to mean if we do it? Uh, He'd be very likely to say, that's not what I was planning. That's not my plan. So he's one of these guys that has it all figured out. He's not comfortable with uncertainty. Uh, Now, eventually, Joseph gives in. But listen to what it takes for this young man. You're young in here, 9, 15, 22. You know what it takes for him to finally realize it? All night long, a dream, an angel's voice, and Scripture being quoted from the prophet Isaiah. It took all four of those things to get his young mind wrapped around the idea that God could make a difference in his life, even if he comes into it early. So if you're asking, what am I going to get into if I let God have my life this early? All I know is I was young, about Joseph's age, 14, and it's made all the difference in the world. Then there's the innkeeper. He's not really mentioned, but there's this line in in the scripture that said there was no room in the inn. So Bethlehem is teeming with people because of the census. So there's just no rooms. And this is the guy you would say can't accommodate God or Jesus. So I picture him as a good business guy. He's got high energy, lots of hobbies. He works hard and he plays hard. Never stops long enough to sense a need for God because he's always moving. So there's no space in his life for God. You could be that person now. Christmas comes around. You hear the story, but your mind's racing to the next thing you're going to be a part of or do, and you never really entertain what Christmas is all about, and you miss it. Then comes the shepherds. They're a little different than the, than the businessman. They're the field workers, hard workers. They live simply. Uh, nothing fancy, no wealth, just humble, good folks, salt of the earth kind of people. Nobody really thinks much of them. They're not, they don't have a high standing in society. They just go about their business every day. But when the angel comes to them, in the fields to announce the birth. I love their response. Their life's not so cluttered that they don't hear it and respond immediately. Luke 2, 15 and 16, you could see they move immediately. There's no questions. There's no issues like lots of others have all kinds. Of, they just say, I'm ready. And maybe you're that person. You're like, hey, I'm in here. I'm all ears. My heart's open. If God says move, I'm moving. If God says go, I'm going. Just point the way. And maybe that's you tonight. So hopefully you see yourself, maybe you see yourself in one of those. I'm going to shift to Matthew a little bit. This is the moment when the wise men come to town. Matthew uniquely tells this story, and it's very interesting that he includes it. Because the wise men come from the east. These are pagans, not even ethnically related, not even connected to Christianity in any way. But they're following the star, this astrological phenomenon in the sky, which was usually associated with the birth of somebody special, usually a king. And so they see this star, and it has led them to Jerusalem. And then to the king's palace, 
where they just assume that the king would know if there's a king being born. Well, it turns out King Herod pops on the scene, and he does not know what they're talking about. But he's very interested because he's ruthless. Deep insecurity he has. Maybe you relate to this guy. Loves power and control. Wanted to be in charge of his own life. Nobody is going to rule me. In fact, he killed anyone, even his own kids, his own sons who were in line to take his throne. Just a fearful guy with pride underneath that, just a lethal combination. To him or to her, it feels weak to be spiritual. It just feels weak to think about Christianity or contemplate surrendering my life to Christ. Uh, just too controlling. Well, it's interesting. King Herod has no idea what these magi, these wise men, are talking about. So he calls the chief priests and the scribes who are supposed to know stuff. And in fact, they do. King Herod's probably shocked by the fact that his, you know, these, these folks know exactly what's happening. And they quote Micah 5.2 at the idea that, yes, there's a, a special birth. A king is going to be born in Bethlehem. And I'm thinking King Herod's like, well, I didn't know that. Why didn't, you know, just sort of an interesting moment where they know and he doesn't. But let me tell you who they represent. They're the religious. They know things. They have information. They grew up in and around church. They know the story, but they don't have any kind of intimate personal relationship with God at all. And I would just say, be careful here. Uh, Lots of people miss Christmas for this reason. Um... And it, see, it doesn't feel like you're missing Christmas. Maybe you went to church, maybe a little candle, maybe you opened your Bible, maybe, maybe some moment was, you had a sentimental moment, just something that felt religious to you during the holidays. Um, it feels good to do something nice, something religious times like these. And let me just say something to you. If there's ever a moment where you feel a little proud, just a little proud. You think a little high of yourself because you did something. You just feel better about yourself because you did some religious things. But it never, it never dawns on you, and it certainly doesn't dawn on you before that feeling that God has done something incredible for you. See, because the person who really knows who Christ is doesn't feel that puffed up by the religious activities they do because they know those good deeds don't save. Only Christ saves. That leads me to the Magi. These are the wise men, the astrologers, the intelligentsia of the day. They, um, they're the smarty pants. Okay? And in our culture, we have lots of them, the enlightened ones. You know, they're, they're too modern and too sophisticated intellectually to contemplate or even entertain uh, Christianity. And uh, there's, they're philosophical and they're scientific. C.S. Lewis has a great quote in his book, The Four Loves. He says, all that is not eternal 
is eternally out of date. Every culture thinks they have the information, the knowledge, uh, the ideas, and the wisdom that supersedes all others that they really know how life is in reality. They think they're right, but they've figured it out. And Christianity is just not up with the times. It's outdated. But let me just say something. The prevailing views of today will be ridiculed by the next generation. Um, 25 years ago, 50 years ago, views on everything were different than the views we have today. They all thought they were brilliant. But there's child-rearing issues that are different, psychology, morality, sexuality, gender, views of all reality, science, sociology. They all have different views than we've had. Um, this is incredible to hear because I now have a grandchild, but our grandkids will think we were really dumb. Uh, I had a nana that lived with us for a short time, my mom's mom. And uh, I remember one morning, I was in junior high school, and uh, I was home from school because I wasn't feeling good, and I didn't have a shirt on, and my nana had made me a, a really piping hot cup of hot tea, and I spilled it down my, from here to here. And I mean, just burnt myself really bad. Just skin came off. Uh, incredibly painful. In fact, it knocked me on the floor, and I, did, I didn't even know how I got there. It picked me up off my feet when it hit. I'm screaming, and my nana lays me in a hot tub of water, thinking that the that the heat from the hot water would pull the heat from the burn out, all right? And then when I got out and dried off, she put butter on me. You remember that? You put butter on burns like I was toast. Listen, she was nuts, okay? I have never done that to my kids, okay? I hate butter now. I don't even use butter. How about mercurochrome? If you kids don't know what that is, that'd be a fun thing to ask your parents today at lunch. The only thing I can say about it is it's a kind of witch's brew. That's all I know about it. That's all I know. What's relevant to culture is always changing. It's like a moving target. William Inge said this, whoever marries the spirit of the age will find himself a widower in the next. But that's the wonder of the simple supernatural story of Christmas. It hasn't changed. God became a man to be with us, to die for us, to die for our sin, to bring us to God. That truth has never sounded so good. And Jesus continues to change lives. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, where is the, where is the one who's wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater and the philosopher? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? God's just not going to do it the way the smartest people think he should. Let me ask you this question. What have you learned lately from anywhere in any category of learning that has helped you break your addictions? 
or filled the emptiness you feel in your soul sometimes, or restored your family, or given you peace in the worst of circumstances, or given you hope in the face of death. Anything? Where are the wise? None of them have answers to that question. But Jesus is still changing lives. If you haven't watched the documentary on Netflix uh, about David Foster, it's called Off the Record. Uh, David Foster is a Canadian a musician, composer. He's an actor as well, songwriter and producer. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, and if you love music, if you love all kinds of music, uh, your favorite people, he, he, he was a part of making them what they are. Uh, he was a child prodigy, perfect pitch, gifted really early on, they saw it. And he's become successful and worth a couple hundred million, um, driven to achieve. And it's cost him to live like that. Some marriages, relationship with his kids. Um, he's a touch arrogant, as you might imagine, and a little difficult to deal with. I thought I was waiting for the moment would he be a little more regretful about the cost that it has been to be as gifted and successful as he is, but that, that moment really never come. He, he seemed to always, he, he took the cost in stride. He's achieved so much that now at 71, he's a little bored and trying to figure out what's really next for him. He's got the same energy level. He was nominated for 47 times, won 16 awards. He's won the Grammy, the Academy Award, and the Golden Globe. If he wins the Tony for a Broadway thing, he'll be the only person in history that won all four. And that's what he has set his sights on at 71 years old. So now I'm waiting for the moment in the movie where he comes to this personal realization and says what you would expect somebody like that to say, yeah, I realize now that blah, 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 blah. It literally never comes. It just keeps that really high intensity and never shows vulnerability until the end. And we learn that he has sort of reunited with his adult kids and they tell you what his vulnerability is. He's afraid of dying. It's the one thing he cannot deal with. He won't talk about it. Won't bring it up. You can imagine why. Can you imagine being that wealthy, have achieved that much, be that gifted, accomplish so much, make a mark like he's made, you'll see, and then die and it all comes to nothing? He can't contemplate that. It's like, what's the point of anything? So he just blocks it out. And he's a reminder that until you have the ultimate eternal hope that only Jesus Christ can give, all the best of life is meaningless. And only Christ can provide the answer. And that brings me to my last character, which is Mary. 
Mary is the perfect picture of the whole point of Christmas. God says to her, I want you to carry my son. And this is when we learn Christmas didn't start in a manger in Bethlehem, but in a womb in Nazareth. God doesn't just want to be a part of your life. He doesn't want to be a scene. He doesn't want to be a holiday. He wants to come into your life and transform it from the inside out, change you completely. So whether you're old or young, whether you're busy and hopping, or you just have a really simple life, you keep your head down and you just work, or you're a fearful, controlling kind of person, or you're the thoughtful planner, or maybe you're just too brilliant, too smart. Here's what Christmas says. God can fit in any life. He can transform any life. And all you have to do is say what Mary said to the angel after this discussion about the virgin birth. Mary says in Luke 1, 38, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Do whatever you want to do, Lord. Mary was young. Maybe you're old. Maybe you're young. Whatever it is, you just say to God, I'll do what you want. At any age, at any stage, under any circumstances, in spite of any hurts or experiences in your life, let God in now. It's not too late, and it isn't too early for him to change your life. You feel like God can't fit in it? I love the final words the angel says to Mary. Nothing shall be impossible with God. Would you bow your heads? I would love for you to consider yourself being in this story. I wonder if you see yourself in the story. And no matter what your circumstances are, and every single one of the people listed have a reason to say to God, not now. Every one of them had a reason to say, not now, God. When God is saying, no, right now is the time. Father, I lift up everyone in this room, anyone listening. You created us. You moved heaven and earth to come be with us. You love us. You want to come into our lives. You want to transform us. So I pray, Father, overcome our fears, our questions, the obstacles we see, and let nothing keep us from inviting you into our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. What we just celebrated, no other religion in the world is celebrated never even contemplated God coming to us. So 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man what God has prepared for them. That's what we get to celebrate. So as we do that, I want to remind you when God comes supernaturally into your life, it doesn't matter what's happening in it. I promise you it'll be the best thing that ever happened when he comes in, young or old. He can fit into your world, and he wants to be in your world. Thank you for being here today. Um, I want you guys to know just how awesome you were today. Just a great joy to celebrate. And... Uh, Know that we're praying for you because I know that crazy circumstances and things probably look a little different in all our lives. But the one remaining constant factor you never let go of is the simple story of Christmas. God came to take away our sin and bring us into a relationship with him. Isn't that a wonderful reality? That means... The ultimate hope we all need to live with, he's provided. Don't look for it anywhere else. Father, we're grateful for it. And as we leave today, I ask your, your guidance on every person here. Soften our hearts toward the ones we love. And make our time together at the end of this year in particular. Really special. In Jesus' name. Amen.